Welcome back to the Brooklyn Poets Yobcast for September 11th, 2023. Featuring poet Joanna Solfrian leading our workshop and kicking off the open mic. I am your host and MC once again, Jason Koo. The Brooklyn Poets Yop is a monthly poetry workshop and open mic held at our space at 144 Montague Street in Brooklyn Heights. For more information and to sign up for the op, go to brooklynpoets.org. This month's open mic lineup featured Desire Brown, Jim Stewart, I Buenaventura, Ann Herendine, Elizabeth Fricky, Mark Weissman, Michael Demsko, Alexis Dibbs, Ellie Bell, Hunter Hodkinson, Erica Goodwin. Incia Taj, Michael Cohen, Megan Gwilt, Richard Burke, Arthur Russell, Andrew Steiker, Ava Kohler, Kiara DeLelo, Amanda Quaid, and last but not least, one of our fall interns, Molly Zukit. Alrighty, let's get right to the action of the Brooklyn Poets Yop open mic for September 2023. Enjoy. Okay, folks, we're going to get started again with the open mic. That is true. Before we get to the open mic proper, we will hear from Joanna Sofrian. If we could have your attention, please. Thank you. So at every Broken Poets Yop after the break, the workshop leader is also our featured reader. Joanna Sofrian will feature with a couple of poems at the start of the open mic. It would be so cool if everyone would stop talking. I'm looking at you in the back. I know you're far from the action, but you're close to our hearts. As long as you simmer down. (laughs) Eventually. Uh, After Joanna reads, we will get to the open mic. Uh, We always have time for at least 20 readers. We usually have time for a couple more after that couple of, they're still talking, <laughs> so I'm trying to summon all the patients that I summoned last night when my baby daughter woke up at 2 a.m. and refused to go back to sleep. She's 16 months old now. You'd think she would get over that, but uh, I held her for two hours <laughs> last night. Uh, it was quite the ordeal. Whoever is still talking, please, could you stop? Thank you so much. <laughs> Just a little bit more respectful to listen as we are beginning the open mic. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, We appreciate you. Uh, As I was saying, uh, if you've ever held a baby for two hours, um, it's like lovely at first and like warm and fuzzy, and then it quickly gets very aggravating after like the first hour, and you're like, just fucking fall asleep. (laughs) I'm going to die if you don't fall asleep. Anyway, uh, a couple of ground rules for the open mic. Uh, If you haven't been here before, every reader gets one poem of three minutes max on the mic. Please keep to your time. There's a lot of readers. People are dying to get in off the wait list. Taylor Molly didn't get here in time to sign up even for the wait list. He was talking about assassinating some people uh, just to get on that. And he drove here. I'm not sure how it took him so long, but uh, he claims if he had taken his bike, he would have gotten here quicker and signed up. But please, please keep to your time. It helps us get to more readers. 
We record the open mic as a podcast that we call the Yawpcast. We publish that usually a couple of weeks after the open mic takes place. If you don't want to be in the recording, you don't have to be, but you do have to talk to me afterwards <laughs> so that I can edit you out of the recording. It has to, sometimes people share stuff that's like they're like uh, taking revenge on like an ex or something and they don't want the ex to hear it. The chances of the ex <laughs> listening to the podcast, I would say, are pretty low, but they're just covering all their bases. So if that applies to you, just talk to me afterward. Uh, lastly, we vote for Poem of the Month at every Yop. Um, and the 12 winners of Poem of the Month over the course of the year face off for Poem of the Year honors. That will come in December. The first Saturday in December is the Poem of the Year contest. If you want to mark your calendars, I think we've got, uh, we've got this slot in September and then October and November. So we've only got three slots left. December is uh, the first slot in the next year's contest. So... Uh, the number to vote, I'm going to give it to you for the first time for Poem of the Month, and please vote at the end of the open mic, not at the beginning or during or like two-thirds of the way through. If you want to vote for yourself, absolutely okay, but please vote once and do not tell people that are not present to vote. It is very obvious when suddenly we get like 10 votes in a row for the same person. <laughs> and if that happens, guess what happens to your votes? 718-374-1953 is the number to vote for Poem of the Month. You can just tell us the poet's name. Or if you're not sure how it's spelled, just try your best. We can pretty much always figure it out. 718-374-1953. We'll repeat that several times throughout the night. Okay, without further ado, give it up for Joanna Solfrin. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks to Jason, uh, Chloe, Zoe. Uh, did, I think I got those names right, yes? Oh, I thought you were like guessing my daughter's name. No, 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 no. <laughs> Chloe and Zoe are, Zoe's a bartender, and Chloe's, Chloe's your intern. And Molly. <laughs> and Molly, I didn't mean Molly. Sorry, Molly, thank you for putting this together. All right. Um, okay. I will start with an ode. I like to write odes to objects because I find it's intimate to stare at something for a long time. <laughs> ode to my lover's armpit. <laughs> odd. <laughs> oh, hot! I heard odd. <laughs> Hot. Ode to my lover's armpit. My father used to tape, I said this at a reading I did a couple weeks ago, my father used to tape all the, uh, the Celtics games and he would fast forward all the free throws because they're boring. Um, but, but I don't. I like the free throws. Ode to my lover's <laughs> armpit. <laughs> Triumphant, I have found the secret cave longed for by explorers the cave with paintings of now extinct trees with dark frenzied branches reaching this way and that toward the corona in the sky. O oh, locusts of birdsong, from your branches the body sings of a terrestrial and practical madness. The song's counsel runs down spiral canals into my brain where it marries an old and beautiful despondency. Here, there is no velocity that is anything other than the bodies. At this moment, its motion is decidedly demure. A river runs under the cave, it swells and stills and swells, it is unappeasable. No parson, though it is contained under a white stole. 
lover, the odorous musk of your valley causes my own verdure to grow. I rest my cheek in your forest and breathe the mad scent of suspended animus. And when I kiss your river, my loins tremble on the bank. There is a taste of sweet mud, and if I allow myself to drown of salt on my tongue from the sea, which is everyone's lover. Thank you. Okay. I don't know. I always plan, I was telling to Taylor, I always plan it and then I change my mind once I'm up here. Based on the vibe. Um, I think I'm going to read. So I wrote this book of, um, um, they're mostly guzzles. And um, I did a poem a day. I'm in a lot of poem a day groups. And I did um, one in February because it's the shortest month. So if you ever do a poem a day group, pick February. Um, and then, um, so basically it's just, it's 28 poems and it kind of follows just the cycle of that particular month. Um, and this is what I wrote on February 25th of that month. Prayer. We made you the way God makes stars. Then the doctor dug and pulled and you unplugged sudden verb. Somewhere a hand wrote your name. We tiptoe through your dark room to watch your curled form sleep. You are distant as a planet in its elliptical drift, and we stand fixed. You no longer cry out for us. You've grown a trunk, seven layers inside you. I try to feel them now through your leg, warm on top of the blanket, and you twitch. Sleep, that temporary death, calls for you. So I hold on a desperate stranger made eccentric by my role as the one who holds on. Thank you. This was the one that, um, and I'll, I'll stop here. Um, this is the one that was featured on the Brooklyn Poets Poet of the Week. Um, has anybody ever tossed ashes before? Yeah, tossed ashes. Yeah. Like somebody who's been cremated, tossed yeah. ashes. Yeah. That's fucking weird, isn't it? It's the teeth. Yeah. The yeah. Yeah, it's really intense. I have, I realized I could have done a whole reading on ash poems, but, um, but we'll just do one tonight. Okay. Um, so, um, and I realize also, you know, in all seriousness, it is 9-11, which is a hard day for a lot of people. So, um, so here's um, one called Grown Up. You scooped up handfuls of your mother one Easter Sunday. You stood on a cold beach and tossed. The wind blew her back onto your body, into the seams of your shoes, igniting you did not know at the time a decade-long crisis regarding what to do with them. Thinking she was food, the gulls came. 1.9 decades later, you find yourself scooping up handfuls of your father on a chartered lobster boat. The sun presides over all, blankly, blessings and whatnot coming out of its mouth. Scattering is illegal, so the captain maneuvers out of sight from land, 
behind the lighthouse and cuts the engine. Take that, shithead gulls. Your children are delighted by the allowable littering of roses. Your father is cold. There's a bit of bone. A friend had sent a note. That night at your reading, I felt your mother's presence, and she clearly told me to tell you she's proud. You'd had a glass of wine afterward. I know that sounds weird. Love for them has made your heart permanent. It dashes itself against the cliffs, gray and vertically veined with mica. The earth is stuck in a tectonic shrug. These things happen. You don't begrudge the captain who needs to cover his ass. He shows the children a lobster, explains how the feathers indicate that it's female. Hmm. Lobsters can swim up to 30 miles per hour, which is fast, but you would like to point out not as fast as the suits who zip up the dead. Later, you return home to the city and watch the glue fall off the stars. There's a man on the subway whose face you want to touch. Thank you. Keep it going for Joanna Sofrian. That was amazing. Thank you. Um, I think we have one copy of Joanna's The Mudroom <laughs> book available up here, but then she brought one more author copy, so if we sell that one, we can maybe sell the other. I was all prepared to come up here and be like, wow, those were amazing armpits, and then you read that incredible poem <laughs> about ashes and your parents, and now I feel like I can't talk about armpits, but I just did, so there we go. That kind of proves the point of your workshop. Like, I'm not talking about misery, but I am talking about misery. <laughs> So there we go. Uh, we're on to the open mic. Uh, our first reader tonight's got a special treat for us all. She's got a speaker set up here. She's got some instrumental tracks. She's going to play with her poem. Give it up for Desire Brown. How are everyone doing tonight? Thank you for coming out. Have you ever cried like but your tears doesn't touch a pillow, it goes down your heart. Have you? It's okay to cry, I just want you to know. This one is called Tears Within, a poem I wrote. I cry at night, yet my pillow stays dry. But isn't a tear to float on one face? Then why do minds float on my heart? Is it that my heart is more sensitive than most? Or could it be that one's heart is more sensitive than mine's? What is an eye without a tear? What is a heart without love? What is a body without a soul? I cry and no one wipe my tears. Is it that 
the world is so cold? Or could it be that no one loves me? Am I, am I all alone, stuck with a crying heart that's flowing with tears deep within? Please, someone, hear me out. Come and wipe my tears and take away all my fears and replace them with love because true love begins within your heart. I cry at night, yet my pillow stays dry. But isn't a tear to float on one face? Then why do minds flow down my heart? Thank you, Desire. Music was so abruptly cut off. I was looking to walk back up to that. Thank you, Desire. Uh, I'm glad we could make that happen for you. Yeah, let's keep snapping it out for Desire Brown. Our second reader of the evening is Jim Stewart. Give it up for Jim. This year, a friend of mine from my slam days passed on, a guy named Danny Solis. Um, and I wrote this back then, but I haven't read it till now. Hey, Coyote, I heard you didn't slip your foot out of the trap this time. Heard you got off the stage for good. Sorry, am I doing this right? I only knew you a few years, but those fucking years. You'd have known how to do this. You had shit to say up there. Everyone knew who you were. Mexicano, Chicano, son and father, warrior for justice before they made that a bad thing. I never learned that trick, which is probably why we never got out of the semis in Oregon. Or maybe because Matthew and I were busy cosplaying low-rent rock stars. In my memory, that was us rolling up Highway 666 through Sandstone Mesa, the Valley of the Gods, big fluffy pink, yellow, and red, red pillows of dead ancient plankton. But you weren't there that year, and I wasn't driving. I was sure I remembered you in the back seat of the Chevelle because you and Matthew didn't have a driver's license, but always knew how I was driving wrong. I must have been thinking of the time we ended up in a standstill traffic jam on California 1, trying to get back to the slam in time because you insisted we drive to the other end of L.A. to get some McFarland action figures at that convention. You never minded if we were a little high at practice, but we went harder before Connecticut because around, around you it felt like it mattered. And now I look and no one's even made you a Wikipedia page, no page on the Poetry Foundation website, and fuck knows I'll never get one because we weren't that kind of poets, the kind where no one clapped until you finished the whole reading. And if submittable had been around for us to pour tokens into the Shakespeare lottery, we'd have told them to fuck all the way off. 
And those other kind of poets were probably better, but we had more fun. And every woman who knew you will say nothing but how your arms were open and welcome your eyes on theirs as equals. With guys, it was different. We all knew that too, but look, it was all of our fault, our brains poisoned by the Greek alphabet, some bullshit someone made looking at some wolves at the zoo. We bounced off each other, and I'll say at least half the time you lost your shit on me, you were absolutely right. Like when I told you I didn't know what privilege was, and you said, of course, you fucking don't. <laughs> Took me a while to figure that out. Sorry. Sorry I didn't give the audience the whole story. I told you I didn't like tequila because, because once on it I slept with another man's wife, and you laughed and said, I thought you were going to say another man. Now, I think if I told you the truth, then you'd have understood, even in those days, but you definitely have told me to put it in a fucking poem. And I can't tell you what the score was because I left the audience. The Dingo is just some brew pub now. The New Yorican is another generation who won't give a shit who won in 1995, like you'd probably say it should be. And Steve is gone too, so there's no one to yell, read the goddamn poem at whoever's blathering on stage before they start. And you can't tell me if you ever caught up to it that what that you that we all were chasing or if you gave up and started chopping off pieces of yourself like all the rest of us. A heart more powerful than the ocean still has to stop, but the sun will fall in another dragonfly. Thanks. Great poem, Jim. Thank you. It's a great Great tribute and good, uh, good poet insults in there as well. <laughs> that always makes a poem better. Our next reader, I'm going to tell the next readers that are on deck, Anne Herondine and Elizabeth Frickery, but our next reader is I Buenaventura, a.k.a. Patrick. Give it up for I Buenaventura. <laughs> Um, some of you know lately that there's been a lot of transphobia, and there is a history of vilifying trans folks, um, which has led to trans people being threatened, harassed, or assaulted or killed for being who they are. Um, I am trans, and I identify as transmasculine, and because I have a little background in self-defense, I wanted to figure out what I could do to help the trans community on the self-defense front. So I came up with this poem. And it's a little different because self-defense for trans people can be different, especially trans women of color. Okay. It's called... It's called Self-Defense for the Trans Person. <clears throat> Love yourself, even if they resent you. Even if you have to lie to yourself, lie till you're actually convinced of it. Just the way they lie to make you believe that you shouldn't exist. Don't believe that. Love yourself. Love your skin and all the nicks. Love the blemishes and all your exquisiteness. Block the malicious words, the prophet sermons, words wisdom tells you is a waste of time. But believe the harm in the harmless talk, the harmful terms that turn steel and lead Beware of monsters, the bloodthirsty intolerance, and their many ways to hurt. Love myself, 
Oh, that's gold. That's beautiful. Like some new age bullshit. You want me to tell that turf, that racist, that bigot, that would-be murderer, and every other reductive phrase that I can think of, that I love myself. Wisdom, instruction on the prevention of my death, all wrapped up in some generic duplex. Did you want an extra syllable tacked onto that? Love myself. Don't you think I do that already, and then what? Will it stop them from treating me like I'm some freak? or putting their hands on me. Oh, they want to put their hands on me. But why am I acceptable to fuck and not love? Why am I forgettable when they beat me to death? You talk from your upper middle privilege with your middle of the road polo image, your light skin and transmasculine advantage as if an ounce of prevention is gonna fix it. Who are these people who don't know me? Who are these people who want to hurt me? These people who, if they'd only reflect, talk to their therapist, not project their fear-mongered insecurities onto everyone else and locate the humanity in themselves. Oh, I love a lock, but why do I have to wait for them to see that I am human and to stop hurting me? Give me something real that is not a waste of my time. I know the basics of keeping safe and that it's no guarantee in any way. The loving part of me would like to tell you, go ahead, jam your stiletto tip nails into their head, rip their eyeballs straight out. It might be a proportional defense for the propagandist mass attempt to condemn you for how you look, for daring to be yourself. But I can't do that, though I just did. I know I can't save you. I'm trying to save myself too. And I know I don't know everything and that you can't rely on everyone else. And sometimes I just want to tell the haters the way I think the universe works. That in another life, you may be me. That there, but for the grace of God, you may be like me, like us. I know it's hard to understand what it is like to be trans and to see that we too are divine. But I don't think that it's so hard to be compassionate. I don't think that it's so hard to be kind. Thank you, I have one of Ventura. It is definitely not too hard to be kind. Our next poet of the evening is Anne Herondine. Give it up for Anne. All right, I'm mixing it up a little here with um, some prose. Spoken word is the polite term. And this is from my work in progress, and in it, my near-future 12-year-old self comes to grips with folklore. Better do this. Seven lang years I served for thee, the bloody shirt I rang for thee, the glassy hill I clam for thee, so wilt thou not waken and turn to me? 
She sings to him in bed where he sleeps and won't fuck her. He's tired from fighting the devil during the day. It's like now. Every time I learn a task, there's another one. Working for years to earn the cleats to climb the glass hill and then having to hand wash a bloody shirt and still not good enough. For me, it's buttons and zippers and jar lids and chopsticks and peel open bags and scissors and hair scrunchies. All my life, not just seven years. But at least in this story, she gets something beyond one more day to struggle through all the same tasks again until it's time for bed. I wonder what it's like fighting the devil. Is it sabers and machine guns? Or endless day after day of toenail clippers and dental floss? The devil is in the details. And still, in the story, she doesn't win because she did all the tasks, although I guess she had to do that part first. She only wins when she realizes that the other one is taking her place at night without having done the tasks. Or maybe because the other one doesn't have to prove anything. At the end, and he caused the old washerwoman and her daughter to be burned. That's the other woman, the daughter, the one he does fuck. The moral of the story, all the chores and tasks in the world won't get you what you want. You have to be a killer. Thank you, Anne. Table three. Is Anne sitting at table three? She is sitting at table three. <laughs> table three is really long, by the way. It's essentially two tables. But you have to be you have to be a killer to sit at table three, apparently. That's where's Taylor? That's why Taylor's not reading tonight, apparently. Did Taylor leave? I think he left. <laughs> I feel bad. Uh, our next reader of the evening is Elizabeth Frickery. Give it up for Elizabeth. Not to be that person, but it is Fricky as in Fricky Fresh. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is also an ode. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't think about it, but there's a morning glory um, planted right outside the door when you, when you walk in, so this is called Ode to Morning Glory. I do not know who lives in the house across the street. I assume it must be a house. Glow of warmly lit kitchen casts a patio in pale yellow. Glass panes, floor to ceiling, wash the street with some views of some postmodern splendor, all hardwood and hard angles. I cannot say as I peer down from two floors up, my fourth floor walk-up is obscured, tangled in vines, my view slanted by the green mess sprouting out of a ceramic pot I bought on sale. Purple flowers yawn as I walk by the parking lot down the street, the sky a mottled deep blue ocean swimming with cool humidity. Little faces blinking in the light, sipping thirstily, lapping at molecules. Little mouths open wide and gaping at the quietude of these dew-speckled hours little arms stretch and stretch and stretch, shaking out knots from a rough night's sleep. I do not know the schedule of a morning glory. 
pale blooms zip back into their homes away as I venture back to my treehouse unseen and unseeing. Does my own sprawling, swirling, stationary child feel lonely as she yearns towards the window? Does she gaze pensively at her own reflection, wondering what days she might waste on the other side? What, might, what life might she live? What faces might she greet down below, curled up by the chain-link fence, gifting some undue hope to those passers-by, those creeps, those voyeurs? I do not know who lives in the house across the street, the mechanized curtains now drawn. But I step outside, descending my jungle, a yellow leaf in mourning tucks away, and peace lily winks knowingly, chuckles condescendingly from its perch, four stories up, smug bitch. <laughs> All right, great ending. Elizabeth Fricky, uh, and by all means, be that person. If I say your name incorrectly, it might be just because I can't read your handwriting, but correct the fuck out of me when you get up here. Do not apologize. Uh, our next readers that are on deck are Michael Demsko and Alexis Dibbs, but our next reader, I realize I said next a few times, you might be confused, but the very next person to read is Mark Weissman. Give it up for Mark. <laughs> Thank you. Hello, Brooklyn Poets. Good to see everyone. Um, thank you, Joanna. That's, uh, it's got to be one of my favorite poems. I realize how much maybe I've stolen from Wallace Stevens <laughs> through the years. So, um, wow, it's, it's an incredible poem. Thank you, Joanna. Um, shout out to the back. Hello. Back, back of the house. Um, and apologies, I'm, I have to leave early. I want to say goodnight to my daughter. Um, all right, so, so this is called um, Superposition, um, which I've just looked up. It's an ability of a quantum system to be in multiple states at the same time. Yeah. Um, and, and there's also another thing in the, in the poem called Lagrange Point Two, and that's where the James Webb Space Telescope is currently located. Uh, don't worry, it's not boring, I think. I hope not. Um, all right, so enjoy, um, if you can. Superposition. I'm astrologically challenged, or is it astronomically? Can never be sure these days in the transit of Mercury or within Lagrange point two, whereby infrared, we glimpse the earliest visible days, the first galaxies or years of the dragon. Come on, think about it. 13.8 billion years feels insufficient to bear a Shakespeare, let alone billions of stars, or is it galaxies? Can never be sure these days in retrograde, so don't text your ex, says Cosmo, if anyone still reads. I get the feeling we're Sagan alive, we'd still be deep in shit. The kind that doesn't quite wipe off, absorbed as it is in the soul of the otherwise nice neighbor's conspiracy theories? Is it capitalism's distortions, such as our lit metropolis's tent cities, or the global south's eco-friendly slums, itself contortion of some sort, or is it? Can't put my finger 
on my next year of the dragon, though if I'm lucky, my doubts on this earth may dissipate and loosen to accept infrared's elongated lengths, primordial hip circles spiraling out, opening something. Is it myth, physics, the rapture of being, one and the same? Thank you very much. All right, thank you, Mark. Just lost the light. Yeah, let's not move this podium when we come up here, poets. Our next reader of the evening is Michael Demsko. Give it up for Michael. big cosmology nerd, so that poem hit for me pretty hard, so <laughs> thank you for that. Um, yeah, this piece is called Man-Made Manifest. I saw God once in Washington Square, and they were everywhere. No meditative silence mantra, melatonin, no rest, to provide what truth takes away, guilt for the innocent question and questions for any answer I could give you. Lying in my sleep, though what I project is peace through the woodwind reed of a deviated septum. <sighs> I dream of violence, muscles not Restraints, toes, curl sheets, between sinners, saints watching me. Hear my confession, all of you, my pastor, my parish, my patient lovers, waiting to be wounded so many times. A children's plaything wound around a middle finger, waiting to unwind in time, in time, in due time. Perhaps after my parents die. Is life trying to kill me? Would it even tell the truth, or will death provide some fluorescent white lie to keep me going comfortably while I beg love to comfort me? Strange that a good guy could be a bad person, or worse. So I go searching for what it means to be a man today and end up here. Hear everything I will not say, see nothing of what I do, these effeminate flaws that saw my safe passage passing through to you. To know who I am, what remains ashore or from the depths with not so much as two dissonant notes from a tuba, surfaces to drag us under my eyes, tidal pools, the sweet sight of your eyes, seeing mine, seeing yours, seeing mine, seeing yours, seeing mine. If making my way to your bed means lying on the sword, I'll bleed deep beneath fitted sheets through our summer nights, no AC. That's pleasure's pain, like self-loathing, a spectator sport. Court carriers of caution, judges, 
Caustic often sentence me screaming silently while I take my place in her coffin. Dutiful, serving time when you, an intruder, truth, putting your hand in mine, touching home, these vacant sands, no patience but no demands, tenderly telling me it is time, now, without excuses, now with such love, and now without nuisance, like the first time, and finally admit some queer nature inside of me. Understand when I accept it, you will never be understood. It will never be what you expected, nor should you wring words from the neck of your inner child, for I saw God once in Washington Square, and they were everywhere. I thank the ones that left me now for what they left behind, my trembling semblance of bravery, those that beat me for my kindness may have sculpted, but did not define this man-made manifest. I bless them, and I'm free. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Michael. On deck, we've got Ellie Bell and Hunter Hodkinson, our next poet of the evening is Alexis Dibbs. Give it up for Alexis. Hello, I'm Alexis. Uh, about a year ago this month, I read my first poem at Brooklyn Poets, and this is that poem revised and edited and entitled An Ode to Sirens. The sirens are loud, so I dance to the music inside my head. The sirens, a disco ball spinning and reflecting, the labels on the prescription, whoever understands them. Craving a feeling of ecstasy, you pop one in, with no concern for the complexity of the chemicals we put into our system. And like terms and conditions, we always agree obliviously. With convenience or obsession, the click of a button, a line at the entrance. This party isn't what I expected, but I accept. The sirens are blasting, and everyone is still dancing to the music inside my head. My face expressionless as I walk towards the ambulance. I've been here before. The night doesn't always end the way you planned for. Sirens are flashing, and I can't help but announcing you are the life of the party. Red, white, and blue, the fireworks, they go off for you. We are celebrating the relapse of your sobriety. You dance like no one else is watching, but we are. We're all here applauding. The click of a button, snap of the camera, flash. The image of you in the rear view mirror is not the disposable picture I imagined having. Unconscious and breathless, hopefully the film this time doesn't develop. Hopefully the pharmacy loses your address. I dance, even though the party has ended. I can't stop you from living a life where you didn't choose the set list. Left on shuffle, let's pause and keep dancing to the music of the sirens. Thank you. All right, thank you, Alexis. I love that idea of celebrating your anniversary with a revision. It is a true poet move. Our next reader is Ellie Bell. Give it up for Ellie.
Thank you. I am short. Uh, and I'm excited because I finally got back into the habit of writing my poems in my notebook so I don't have to use my phone, which I hate doing. Uh, the poem is called Regina Spector's Fidelity Makes Me Consider a Future in Which I'm Treated Tender. Regina Spector is a singer. She has a song named Fidelity. It's about being loved well. When I say I'm a slut, I mean I'm a glutton for building a better world in which we can love each other out loud. I mean I'm a hoe for your heart specifically. I'm giddy at the prospect of gardening, trying to grow everything in you that my green thumbs will allow. Honeysuckle, wild for you flowers. When I say I'm a slut, I mean I would bend over backwards to water you. Keep your seeds safe, roots nourished always. Here, this must be the place where I finally get to take my feet off the ground and keep my head in the clouds, vining my optimism upward, stop protecting my heart from daydreams. Because there are so many futures I can imagine. Now that a song stashed away told me there is one, many, in fact, where I'm treated tender, held a gift, wrapped in kind arms, where I used to be an island, always waiting for someone to show up to my shore and stay, build shelter in me. I know now that I don't have to get lost in the forest of heartbreak anymore. Here, I'm a slut, as in, I am surviving constantly on the mere hope that love is still possible. The potential that even a branch that appears dying is green in the middle. The thought that I might someday feel the familiar turn of my stomach again and know the ripe taste of being cherished, sweet the way freshly foraged berries are better than the ones you see through the glass of the grocery store. When I say I'm a slut, I mean I now greet each day palms open to the sky, heart open, ready to fit someone new in here, to grow accustomed to the sound of you speaking to me gently, even when I wake up a prickly thing, for you to tell me you like the roots and not just the fruit that feeds you, that the rose is worth the thorns because I'm already sure it is. I just want to hear the words blossom from your mouth. I am a slut for pleasure now that I know it's real, as in I want to whimper at just the touch of your hand in mine, your open ear waiting to hear me, my chest a swelling symphony in a language only you and I know. All right, thank you, Ellie. Our next reader, Broken Poet staff member. We're partial to them. Give it up for Hunter Hodkinson. Hello, everyone. So the other day I was riding the bus and I saw this really tragic scene play out in front of me. There was this 
old man who was just like abandoned on the bus and there was no one there to pick him up at his stop, like at the end of the line. So I sort of wrote a poem about that and created my own story around that. So it's called Return to Sender. You notice him as you board. You notice him as you board the bus, wheelchair strapped down by seatbelts, thinking the woman sitting next to him is his daughter on their way home from physical therapy. But no, she leaves and others do too, and soon it's just the two of you with a couple blocks left on the line. As last stop, last stop struggles through the static speakers, there is no change in his disposition. He remains staring due east, waiting, maybe, for the sunrise. You slither your tequila-soaked bones from your seat and push the door open. No one is waiting for him. There's just an empty Ridgewood sidewalk and the distant roars of House of Yes. The tired bus driver deploys the wheelchair ramp like a brat child sticking out their tongue. She parks him in front of the 24-hour deli beneath the neon glow of ATM. You ask if anyone is here for him. She shrugs her shoulders, reboards the bus, and lurches towards the lot. He is catatonic, jaw-locked, refusing his words. You approach him like a fallen baby bird in a mess of shattered blue. He holds a piece of torn receipt paper with a haiku written in red crayon. I cannot die unless I die at home. He examines your glitter sweat slicked body and smiles. Beneath the poem is an address which leads to a condemned building illuminated by a flickering street light. No windows, only plywood spray painted with novice graffiti. No door to knock on. He sighs like returning home after a long day of work. Is that glitter? Is that the glitter? or a tear sliding down his cheek. Thank you. Okay, beautiful poem. Thank you, Hunter. Uh, how many people live in Ridgewood here? I was like, Hunter didn't even raise their hands. <laughs> I was going to say, an empty Ridgewood sidewalk. That sounds super depressing. <laughs> but, I mean, no you know, no shade towards Ridgewood. I just, <laughs> I've just been there, and it seems a little depressing. Okay, anyway, enough personal commentary. Our next reader of the evening is Erica Goodwin. Give it up for Erica. Hi, my poem is titled, The Whale Shark. I knew I would be scared to swim with that sea dark creature, but could not deny you the adventure, so we boarded the boat at dawn. It was our first trip together. The night before, I watched from the hotel bed as you soaked your underwater camera in various solutions, gentle and precise as I'd come to know you. On the boat, you held my knotted hair as I leaned over the edge, queasy, half hoping we wouldn't find one. But I didn't mean it, and when reports finally came of a juvenile feeding at the surface, I let you fit the snorkel on my face. 
The boat heaved on swollen waves. The water's surface was inscrutable. The captain signaled and I leapt after you into that unknowable void where I found the giant fish beside me, all spotted, sloping spine, gliding gorgeous through the blue. How good it felt then to fear what could hurt me and find peace instead. Even when it left, I felt a presence still, alive and precious, suspended in that wild water between us. I caught my breath. You looked me in the eye. Thank you. All right, beautiful poem. Thank you, Erica. On deck, we've got Michael Cohen and Megan Gwilt. Our next reader is Incia Taj. Give it up for Incia. I'm also short. Brightness up, all right. That final October is the alarm clock's keen. You, with your proud surgeon's hands, spin a trip as solution. You, Achilles, before the bitter plunge, contort the spine of our Metro North tickets. Disguise errant jewels of conversation as bomb, mold cider, an unimportant NPR podcast, my father's birthday. Pebbles of our connectivity. See, we still belong to one another. The stiff wind at Storm King bites our cheeks red. I love you like an earthquake loves its faults. We trudge to Louise Bourgeois' eyes and pose for pictures. We're from the city, I say, by way of apology. Maple leaves litter the ground, scarlet, orange, yellow. I envy nature its luscious unburdening an annual expected implosion. My pupils inhale the map of your form, counting the years I have charted, we overgrown. It's inevitable, the scalpel dividing the inventory of our lives, the erasure of shared language, the blurry concert tickets, the bone white tube of crust no longer serving two. You still have my copy of Kitchen Confidential nestled in the wooden crib of your bedside table, I'll buy you a santoku knife in Tokyo, you'd promise. You meant it then. In a past life, who were we to one another? You, a mushroom of salt, dreaming in the Dead Sea. I, the water, painting your crystals with my tongue. Erosion veiled as affection. Nothing survives here, but oh, it was beautiful. How we've morphed now. Just two boxers, sheathed in metal, circling the ring, each beginning to mourn the other's shadow. Thank you. Okay, beautiful poem. Erosion veiled as affection. Uh, amazing line. Our next poet is making his way to the front. Give it up for Michael Cohen. a comment to our earlier, um, has nothing to do with my poem. Uh, about 20 years ago, the front page of the Daily News, and I cut it out and framed it and labeled it the end of Western civilization as we know it. Keith Richard took his father's ashes, mixed them with cocaine, and stored it his father. 
This was the front page of the daily. It's a different time. You may never think of the Rolling Stones the same way. Unbelievable. Anyway, I love the poem. And now I'm going to read a poem. That was a poem. Keith Richards snorted his father. That's, there's nothing left to say, right? Inside, inside, I just want to start with one comment too. All those you struggle, you know, I was trying to rhyme a bit in this poem. And a friend of mine, he's Italian, um, what am I doing? And just, oh, yeah, it's funny. Italian has eight, more eight times more rhymes than English. So if you struggle not to sound sing-songy, which is really not easy to do, and I was jealous, I was, and it's a beautiful language, but um, we don't have a lot of rhymes, so, so forgive me in advance. Inside, death doesn't scare. It's dying that's painful. As you look to the sky, blue turns to purple. You're blind as the man whose voice from the rooftops toppled all time and conquered the sand. The dog who's loved loves in return. Clocks all run backwards and you're lost in the game of throwing a ball as high as you can, as catching as dust makes memory slam hard on the cracked slate of the walk. The muffled cars crawl and the women all talk. The future in dreams was rain on white birch. The summer bags for sleeping held secrets so deep and years before you would weep for the losses that surround like a soft still steel cocoon. It's both grief and madness that makes the night moon. All the laughter and buttons you tried to undo, and the poet led in the light, reciting words that were there, and these words became your salvation and prayer. She left you, you left her, and the world spins around. And the cosmos reveal that one secret sound of all notes together played with one breath. Inside this poem is another poem. And inside that poem is nothing. And inside nothing is another world. And inside that world is a poem. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. I like that poem, but I'm just, I have to be curious what it would sound like in Italian. So maybe next time. <laughs> uh, on deck are Richard Burke and Arthur Russell. Our next reader is Megan Gwilt. Give it up for Megan. Hi. Um, I'm going to give you guys some silly, goofy vibes. Um, <laughs> this is called Gallery 162 at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, where legendary hero Percy Jackson killed his pre-algebra monster, Miss Dodds, where everything looks different than it did in my head, where the gallery glows golden in the afternoon and the marble glitters in a way that gives me goosebumps. I imagined it'd be dark, dusty, downstairs, disguised as a dingy dwelling tourists wouldn't dare enter, but it's drowning in people. Students and heroes and tourists and monsters and artists and gods and locals all flooding the halls with nonstop chatter. Their giggles and gasps and graphite on paper crash into me like the tides on Coney Island. And while that steady stream stares at statues posing for pictures, imitating Icarus or dancing with Dionysus, I bask in their beauty on a bench. 
Watching wandering eyes move from myth to mouth, I wonder what whim led them to this hall, hoping it's what happened here in a story that stole so much from these statues, the marble monsters making mayhem in midtown Manhattan, while my first love fights for his friends and their freedom, the first sentence of the series seared into my cerebrum, it all started here. And I wonder if these tired travelers spent their days dreaming of a spent their time dreaming of days as a demigod or drawing studies of statues so carefully carved I expect the cloth to blow in the breeze. Art made by these ancient artisans bringing together the creative and the cautious, the medic and the magic to admire the anatomy sculpted from stone. And I wonder if they studied the stories behind the statues, memorized Megara's myth or etched the echoes of Echo into their egos, enacting her eternal curse with each edit to her edict. This gallery holds a world of wonder set in stone. And I sit and sigh marveling at the marble and masses of mankind, making their own myths in my mind, now molded by this museum too, if only a minutia, a collection of catastrophic miracles milling about, most making memories I will never manage to know. Wishing I could wander their waking minds, I'm left wondering if anyone wants to know what I whisper to the wisps in the woods, secret wishes washing over ears that never wanted this. I wish for what I am to be enough. To one day wake up and not wonder how to make myself magic so I'll end up in this museum too. Instead, ogling the ordinary people gathering in this gallery together. At the intersection of identities, imaginations, inspirations, ideas, and ideals of people from across the planet of fact and fiction, art and actual, of myth and material of me bringing my past and my future to this bench to bow to the fates and begin each new chapter changing constantly, but never missing a moment to be where Percy killed Miss Dodds a million moons ago. Yeah. All right, thank you, Megan. Terrific poem. Our next reader is Richard Burke. Give it up for Richard. Thank you. I've never uh, done a recital of, of anything before. Um, so this is a historical poem. It is about um, you know mythology and colonialism. So I need some exposition. The uh, it's about Aquaesulis, which is a Roman colony in Brittany from you know ancient times. And one funny thing Romans do is that they make all um, of their works made out of lead. And so they made a bathhouse of lead immediately above a spring. And so everyone used it as a uh, resort, a healing resort, but they were just being steeped in lead. So as a result, uh, obviously they were just always hurting themselves. Uh, and so one other thing is that they uh, replaced the old goddess of the, or the indigenous goddess of the area with a similar goddess, but one of revenge because people would complain about having their stuff stolen while at the bathhouse because they were naked. And as a result, they would get angry and they would write little messages to the goddess, except this was a normal, you know, nature goddess of, of indigenous times. So here's the poem. So. Aquaesulis conveys the locust twixt imperial subjectal Rome and subjected pagan Britannia. And to mix the blood of their ambitious flex, 
project their tech against her primal magic hex. Her sueless maneuver could flow, her store of aqua nectar, geothermal runes bejeweled her pearls as pearls, her slender nape before their right, to spring and effervesce the soon arrived hydraulic fluid life, her core. But now the blessed spring's ancient flow drips along stone cracks towards a spacious pool beneath, momentous stone arches, not sprung but smothers the pilfered land, mock goddess head atop this worship epicenter, slabs of carved rock to plug its flow of ceremonies. Now it's steeped in Rome's idle, well-funded paranoid, which sought Galenic health healing from seltzer invented. Dos Picaros entered left, jocund but leery, that discarded wealth about could adorn their pockets. Their somnolent praise been spotted and their song follows. Gramps got the gladius, snoozing though, within his five foot radius. Swipe that out in public, no matter how heinous. The high forehead hunkle, snot bubble out of his nose. Cathartic glow to roll that vegetable, as trad cats snooping for a honey that's vesicle. Let's exchange the blade for Numa's, Aries gifted gold that groom us. They part the scene, blade wrapped in its makeshift sheath. Gramps etched choice words to the goddess. Four ladies enter right, already wealthy. Mind that these baths steam to vaunted heights, and ladies likewise vaunted bejeweled wrists, anklets, rings on digits, sigils of their steep genealogy. Yet this is not the land of their goddess. Defiant Sulis Minerva in clandestine vindication loose their jewels from her with her solvent loose her jewels with their magic solvent. Thus centuries worth of jewelry down the drain, discarded as pebbles along the Avon shores. For centuries, each of these ladies were sold were rolled by Sulis Minerva. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. On deck, we've got Andrew Steiker and Ava Kohler, but our next reader, a uh, very special reader, longtime Broken Poets, the opera, he's got his debut chapbook coming out in October. He's going to be doing, doing the book launch here. What day is that again? October 13th. He'll be right here. Uh, he might invite table three. Give it up for Arthur Russell. Thank you all. This is the book. I have many copies of it. And everyone who comes to the launch gets one for free. So come to the launch, because I'd love to see all my people there. Um, Joanna, thank you for a great. I never read Wallace Stevens with such an eye for sound before. And if, he surprises you every possible way. And I, I just thought that was great. So I'll dedicate this reading to you. Anyway, there's a reference in this to an album that's playing on, in the car. And that album is uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, first album from 1969. 
and the song titles are from it. Uh, this poem, also Alexis is a rewrite, and um, it's called Blackberry Chronicle, and it has an epigraph from Robert Haas's poem, Meditation at Lagunitas, Blackberry, Blackberry, Blackberry. <laughs> if you have teeth, you can find that blackberry seed deranging your mind from its birth between tooth numbers 12 and 13, that your tongue has failed to dislodge for 20 minutes while driving to Indianapolis to visit your kids. And then, between wooden ships and Lady of the Island on your favorite CD, the seed comes loose of its own accord and appears on the broad spatula of your tongue like a penny on a subway stair, ready to be spit out or swallowed. But you neither spit it out nor swallow it. You let it measure itself against infinity in the synagogue of your mouth. And if it made you crazy with annoyance for what seems like half of Pennsylvania, made you willing to trade your kingdom for a toothpick, now past the exit for Erie, with the soggy gray late afternoon sky drooping and the thick impending dread of your Indiana ex opening the door with her lips wrapped around an old hurt. You cherish that little blackberry seed and deploy those skills your tongue has always had to move the seed to the craggy crest of your bottom front tooth and stabilize there by the adhesive qualities of saliva, the seed holds still on the central incisor's pinnacle, just long enough for your top front tooth to come down and hold it. Oh, the underrated delicacy of the jaw how it calipers the seed's dimensions, measuring its hardness and transmits its findings to your brain, a brain that never wanted anything but monkey bars or Aztec pyramids to climb, but now foresees you standing at the front door, craning to peer over your angry ex's shoulder to see your daughter in her Cinderella blue and yellow dress coming down the hall, and your son behind her, jumping with every step to catch your eye, and in your freighted mind, as you pass into Ohio, between helplessly hoping and long time gone, the rat-a-tat of windshield rain and the purgatory of this highway make you cry, a stupid little sob that starts as a sniffle and fills your lower lids with tears. And that becomes the moment you bite down on the blackberry seed, expressing its minuscule bit of pulp whose earthy blandness promises nothing, but somehow reminds you of how far this blackberry has come to reach this end, from some Mexican berry farm where it grew from a hard white protoberry to the burgeoning purple nodules glistening in the sun to the dirt in the ridges of the fingerprints of the migrant who picked it and the many hands working on the dark conveyor that leads to the clear plastic clamshell and two days in the dark cold truck only to arrive at your stop and shop before dawn where the guy with the pony who works the overnight shift, tears open the crate and puts them out for sale where you found them, half a pint for $5.99 on that rush from Friday work 
to pack the car to go to Indianapolis to see your kids. Blackberries. If you like that, wait till you hear Arthur read his poems about car washes. <laughs> it's like one one person was like, "Yeah, was that you, Kara?" That was table three. That was table three. Why is everyone leaving, Hunter? Why are you leaving? <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. You can go. I'm ju I'm judging you a little bit, but I love you, so you can leave. Our next reader is Andrew Steiker. Give it up for Andrew. Where are you at? This poem is called Hoops. He's nearly forgotten in the terminals of my life. The boy shrills ricochet in bows of the street hoops jump shot. Knots to twine. Those embers of city blocks carry them through neighborhoods that will one day decay into silence. I conceive telephone poles as gondolas of boombox static, baseline dribbles, lanes of row homes and rims. This basket used to hang chains where my heart swung from wires of arteries. The clang from the switch fade away through the flat circle of time. It was here we learned the art of the spin move and how to sweat doubles till a midnight dawn. I bet you'd never remember Slick Otto from the bodega, the tint of cat piss when he walked in, or the cigarette rings by the cashier. Where we first bought those 40s of malt liquor, where we were nearly invisible at Block's Edge, where the church corners what could have been, where we slipped through fences with old E, where progress crumbles in the naked staircase like an injured Steinway, where sun imagines stained glass as pallets to our souls. It was here JJ's brother first told us about the abuse, and it was here we brought the priest to a god we created for ourselves and agreed to take it to our graves. Tank Malik and Philly never made it to college. Alcohol and painkillers. Years later, I would call JJ by the wrong name at Lefty's funeral. He asked me about my handles, the right-left crossover, the boom-bap voguing at our feet. Only a few of us considered the parable of his last breath as we came together like jazz, hiding behind our shadows, the attics of our future rippling overhead, and the collective dream of MVA stardom buried beneath the earth. I wonder if the others still look up at those 360s in the open air towards the orange halo burned into the sky, the smooth of the spalding on our fingertips, as though what else could bring us happiness? A song, a car, a lover, nothing. Thank you. Right. I love a sports poem. Uh, that was beautiful. Basketball poem. How about those Cleveland Browns? Huh? Yeah, Can we get a round of applause for the Cleveland Browns? Very quiet. It was 
feel like there's a lot of Bengals fans here. What the fuck? That was the first time the Browns have won their home opener since 2004. Okay? So just appreciate that. <laughs> I was, I cleared my day yesterday. I was prepared to be depressed from, from 4 to 4 p.m. to midnight, but it was, we won 24 to 3. Fuck the Bengals. I got a I got a DM from Eugenia Lee on Instagram. She was like, "Oh, I forgot you're from Cleveland." That's when I learned Eugenia was from Cincinnati. <laughs> I was like, I just wrote, "Sorry, not sorry." Uh, I mean, they made the Super Bowl two years ago. Anyway, we've got uh, time for four more readers. We've got three readers on the main list. We've got some. Uh, I've loved this open mic, but uh, we're all going a little over three minutes. That's fine, but uh, now we're at 9.05. So we got one reader off the wait list. That's going to be Molly right here. But before we get to Molly, <laughs> before we get to Molly, they're all ready for you, Molly. <laughs> Our next reader is Ava Kohler. Give it up for Ava. Thanks, guys. The good news is I do tend to write shorter poems. Y'all are encouraging me to write longer ones, but uh, we'll get there. Uh, this poem is called Solo Passage. The sign at the Humboldt County Regional Redwood Park bluntly warns me that solo hikers are more likely to get eaten by mountain lions. I add this to the growing list of indignities of being single and 30-something like the cost of a one-bedroom apartment and how I always have to sit next to strangers on the plane. Like my birthday's ticking past, four minutes to midnight now on the wounds day clock. Like how I have to plan 21 meals every week and it is always my turn to do the dishes. Like how my married friends invite me to a Galentine's brunch, and after the second mimosa, they pat my hand and say, you know, we envy your freedom, actually. And how I don't tell them that love is a walled garden I've never been inside, and I'm not sure why I want to go, except I was walking the dog at 3 a.m., because he had diarrhea, and there is no one else. And I kept thinking about Noah, and how all the single animals drowned. The sign at the entrance to Humboldt County Regional Redwood Park offers me a second fact. Redwood's roots are too shallow for their skyward ambitions. Underneath the soil, the whole forest reaches out their grimy fingers and hold on. And that's how they stay standing. Thank you. That's great. Thank you. All the single animals drowned. <laughs> uh, please tell me when... You publish your book. That will be the title of your book. All this, <laughs> and all the single animals drowned. That is priceless. I never thought of it that way, but that's a really good point. <laughs> Our next reader of the evening, one poem of the month earlier this year. Give it up for Kiara Delalo. Yeah. Thank you. 
thank you so much for staying. I'm Kiara. Um, yeah, go for it. It's always better when Jason adjusts the mic. Like truly, like ever since the 61 local days, it's always been true. Um, oh no, that's true, you used to do, I'm so sorry. I apologize. Erase your poem. It's okay, it's okay. We, we all need to suffer a couple of humiliations now and again. God knows I do the same thing. Um, okay, fair warning. This poem has stuff about spiders. Just so you know. Um, it also quotes Woody Allen. And I'm way more conflicted about the Woody Allen part than I am about the spiders. Um, someone that I was talking to and having a really nice conversation with over a decade ago mentioned this quote, and he was a film person. So I'm like, okay, that makes sense why you're quoting Woody Allen. Also, it was over 10 years ago, different world. So I just wanted you to know that. Um, but Michael, you paraphrased the very quote about death. So like, it's there for the content, not because it's from Woody Allen. I feel like I should tell you this. Okay, um, you all remember reading those fun fact books when you were a kid? Like, this is how many time, this is how much time you'll spend waiting at red lights in your lifetime, that kind of thing. I'm writing a series of poems that have fun facts as the titles. And this is actually a poem about trauma because I've read a lot of amazing work about things that happen to you and it's too much too fast and it's so obvious and there's no denying that the trauma has happened. But what I wasn't finding were poems about the trauma of secrets. And when you suddenly find out that all these things you thought you understood are not true. So, this is a poem called to the four spiders, statistics says I will swallow in my lifetime. <laughs> First, know that I bear you no ill will. Of all the things that have happened to me without my knowledge, you are one of the kindest. You will not leave me wrecked or vengeful. I will not jump at shadows because of you or second guess the quiet moments with a feeling like shadow hands drawstringing my throat. You and your swallowings yet to come are a reminder that we can say we love truth only to a point. After that, it's like the Woody Allen quote, I'm not afraid to die, I just don't wanna be there when it happens. Spiders, just see to it that I'm not there when you happen. Let me enjoy my sleep and my recurring dream where I float as if on one of your silken tethers. When your delicate eight legs, seven, six, pass five, four, three, between my lips, two, one. Make sure I don't know a thing. Wound up tight in dreamlessness. When your tiny glints of eye stare up the hollow of my esophagus like it's Plato's cave, as far as I'm concerned, I know nothing of spiders or secrets, no lines of insidious light beneath shut doors. The truth is I envy you, spiders, even knowing I am your end. I have walked out after a late, slow darkness fell and found the night a living, breathing thing. But only you will feel it grant that engulfing wish to take the beautiful sturdiness of your body and swallow you whole. Thank you. <laughs> Did you say you are magnificent? That was so, <laughs> I was going to say, that's so sweet. Uh, that's like my worst nightmare, swallowing spiders in my sleep. Yeah, yeah, thank you. It didn't help, but thank you. I killed a huge spider right outside my door the other day. Yeah, it was like, it's like when you kill a spider, there's like the juice is left. 
It was a really big spider. It was almost a tarantula, but just not that big. We've got two more readers. Our next reader is Amanda Quaid. Where are you at, Amanda? Yeah. There she is. Free verse from the physiatrists. Pelvis scorched from radiation. Nothing works the way it should. I asked the PT if sensation comes back. Shaking his head, he says it's progressive, a word I used to like. Like most medical types, he foists tissues at me as if my tears are anthrax, so I take one and hold it just to be polite. Out on the floor, I limp alongside grannies and snowboarding victims and the lady with the red perm working hard on moving her eyes side to side. My third toe won't flex as of Tuesday, and I can't feel the back of my thigh. A mounted TV plays a famous ballet. I gaze from my broke-down body, transfixed by one leaping lord, Bring on cavaliers in marzipan tights. Oh, surrogate body under the lights. Do a quick temple and then cast yourself off with astonishing speed and the grace of a panther pursuing its prey. I can't hear the music, but you, cavalier, are the orchestra, muscles and nerves playing love serenades. And for one grand jeté, we are all parfaitement assemblée, all of us healing or broken in time with canes and diapers, incessant specialists, my charts, tissue pushers, and Fear. Oh, Cavalier, look what a body can do. Look, look here. Thank you. That seems like they fit right into table three. <laughs> that was great. Thank you. Uh, our final read of the night, I want you to give a special, special welcome because... It's a fall intern doing a great job at the front desk up here. Give it up for Molly Zukit. Um, I have not been in the habit of writing much lately, which is something that I'm trying to change. But I was here, like working here over the weekend, and I follow this photographer on Instagram named Nora Nord, and they posted this photo this person like hanging out of their kitchen window and the window looked exactly like a window that used to be in or is still in, but um, was in a wood shop that I worked at briefly in college. Um, so I wrote a poem called Labor of Love, which is the name of that photo um, about that. It's as if when they blinked, their eyes got stuck halfway open, pollen and sawdust tinting the windows into a permanent haze from sunup, light storms the shop, so Alex built a dark room in our closet. I wrap my fingers around the developing tanks just for a break from any heat. A reminder, there's light and love, not the sun. I say this a thousand times, probably less patient with myself than other people. Summer, the banally named parking lot stray, bears his belly to the glass so that skin, fur, the window are all one. I rename him Sun Boy, Summy Tummy, Sweet Sum, 
And later, when he slinks inside, slinks inside to sleep on my feet, I hope he dreams of names for me, too. Every day I split into oneself, daydreams to trumpeting cicadas, body sprawled and hoping for the sun's arms to reach out and hold mine. The other self hides behind the cloudy windows and does not know where warmth comes from. We switch places every hour. It's exhausting, but we're scared of getting stuck. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Molly. Fantastic close to the evening. Let's give another round of applause for all of our open mic readers. That was great. I am going to go back through all the names, and now you can vote if you like. Our number is 718-374-1953. This is the Broken Poets phone number. It used to be my personal number, but uh, if you want to reach me now, that is not how you reach me. So don't text that number. <laughs> 718-374-1953. I'm going to start at the end and go backwards. You just heard from Molly Zukic. Before that was Amanda Quaid, Kiara DeLelo, both from Table 3, Ava Kohler, Andrew Steiker, Arthur Russell, wearing the Table 3 t-shirt, Richard Burke, Megan Gwilt, Michael Cohen, Incia Taj, Erica Goodwin, Hunter Hodkinson, who left earlier, Ellie Bell, <laughs> Alexis Dibbs, Michael Densko, Mark Weissman, who I think also left to tuck in his daughter or something, Elizabeth Fricky, Anne Herondine, I Buenaventura, Jim Stewart, and all the way back to the beginning with the music playing Desire Brown. Again, the number to vote for Poem of the Month, 718-374-1953. Again, the 12 winners of Poem of the Month, they face off for Poem of the Year honors and then the winner reads at our awards gala which you might as well put on your calendar is on sunday december 10th we're gonna be uh you know building up towards that very soon uh, i'm not gonna bore you with any more announcements because it's already 9 18 thank you for coming our next yop will be on the second monday of october when is that arthur can you look it up real quick <laughs> it's like probably this the 9th, October 9th, that will be led by I.S. Jones, who's a fantastic poet, Broken Poets Workshop instructor. Uh, tickets for that will go on sale in about 10 minutes. So if you want to read for the open mic and did not get a reserved ticket, there are 10 reserved tickets every month. Those sell out really quickly. All the people that are talking will not get this message. That is fine. You steal the tickets from them because you are silent and they are talking. Thank you and good night. We'll see you in October. you have it, the Brooklyn Poets Yop open mic for September 11th, 2023. Thanks to Joanna Solfrian for leading our workshop and featuring at the start of the open mic segment. Joanna is one of our new teachers this fall. Uh, not new to teaching, but new to teaching for Brooklyn Poets. I first met Joanna through our mutual friend Nicole Callahan last year after we opened our space uh really cool person really cool poet led a great workshop uh and she is leading a two session workshop at 144 montague this fall that starts on wednesday unfortunately for you if you haven't registered it has already sold out uh but fortunately for all the students that are registered uh 
they are gonna take an amazing class to join for two Wednesdays. Congrats to Ava Kohler for winning Yacht Poem of the Month in September for her incredible poem, Solo Passage. Uh, that was my favorite poem of the evening. Really funny poem, emotionally affecting, had pretty much all of the above when it comes to uh, what we look for from poems. Ava has claimed the third to last spot remaining in our Poem of the Year contest bracket. There are two spots left, which we will decide in October and November. That's a good segue to tell you about our next job coming your way on October 9th, just a couple of weeks away from the time of this recording. Uh, that October 9th yacht will be led by I.S. Jones, whom many of you know from our workshops. And uh, uh, I.S. Jones has led a yacht previously, but on Zoom, before we opened 144 Montague. And uh, you may remember her from our first Broken Poets Reading Series event at 144 Montague uh, in the summer of 2022. So we're excited to have her back in our spot to lead the October Yacht. If you want to come out for that, don't have a ticket already, go to brokenpoets.org, look under events, and you will find the Yacht as the first item on that menu. Uh, you can also find the link to that to register through our Instagram. Uh, yeah, that's about it. Thanks again for listening. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to us yet on iTunes, we hope you'll do that and rate us five stars. It helps more listeners find these amazing poets and poems every month. Okay, thanks again for listening. Take care. We'll see you in October.